Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Let's turn in our Bibles uh, to the book of Genesis, chapter 22, for our Bible reading today. If you are visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, uh, down the end of the aisles, or certainly in baskets, uh, in every aisle you'll find uh, baskets of Bibles. Uh, Please take one of those to read along. You can read along on the screen. If you don't have a Bible at home, that is our gift to you. We'd love for you to take that Bible with you, take it home. Now, I've got my Bible, but I read out of the uh, ESV version, uh, and we follow along here at church on the screen, NIV. So uh, I will pull out my trusty tablet, if that's okay, and I will read NIV off the tablet. Some of you look offended. Don't be offended. God's first words in the scripture were on a tablet. <laughs> we'll read, shall we? <clears throat> Dad joke. It's not too early, surely. (laughs) Genesis 22, verse 1, NIV from the tablet. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went up together, Isaac spoke and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God, sh- God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together, on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham looked up there, uh, looked up and there in the thicket. Sorry, a phone call in the middle of that. (laughs) Verse 13. I'm sure that didn't happen to Moses. Abraham looked up there in the thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. 
And to this day, uh, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And the final verse, verse 19 and Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Bathsheba and Abraham stayed in Bathsheba. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless it to our hearts. Let's give a warm welcome to Brother Lachlan as he comes to minister God's word to us today. Well, thank you very much and good morning. It gives me a great privilege to be speaking to this verse this morning. Uh, in this school holiday period, I'm going to keep it short and sharp. And I pray that God does speak through me and uh, into your hearts this morning. I want to take you back 60 years to about 1953. Joe decided it was time to write a novel. He's an American guy. He, in the early 1940s, was in the Air Force. He flew um, bomber planes over Italy. And uh, so he sat down, 1953, I'm going to write a book. So eight years later, his book is published... And it's now one of the most famous books ever written. And it's not because of what's necessarily contained in the book, but it's because of the principle of the book. Joseph Heller, he's best known for the title of the book rather than the contents. Back in 1961, he, or his book, coined the phrase Catch-22. The book and subsequent movie, they're about World War II. It's based around missions of an Air Force squadron over Italy. And the title of the book, it refers to this plot device that's invoked a number of times throughout the story. So the story based around these these pilots that were going on these missions, basically, into Hell's Kitchen to bomb Italy. And they didn't know whether they were going to come back alive. They'd go out 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times. Every time they sat in that cockpit, they put their helmet on, which is not going to do a lot of good, put their helmet on and off they fly. They don't know if they're coming back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Catch-22 refers to a rule that allows them to stop flying. So basically, if they're given, if they're proved insane, if, if people say they're crazy, then they don't have to fly. So if you're nuts, you don't have to fly. So what happens is people to fly these missions must be insane. So they get in the plane and they fly off, therefore they're insane. So they don't have to fly, do they? Because they're insane. So they say, I'm not going to fly, because if I did fly, I'd be insane, so I'm going to stay here. Well, you sound very clear and sound of mind. You're not insane, so up you go. Does that make sense? It's this tumble dryer of being stuck. You have to fly if you're crazy, you can't fly if you're not crazy, or the other way around. I don't know if I understand it, but I hope you do. <laughs> but that's where the phrase come from. If you've heard Catch-22 and wondered, it comes from that book. But we use it now in more simple terms, more terms that we can understand, like being caught between a rock and a hard place, or I'm so hungry, I need to cook some food, but I don't have any energy to cook my food, or 
I need my glasses to find my glasses. Anyone like that? Or the great one when you come home and you say to your wife, I saw a lady in the street. She looked just like you. And she says, oh, was she beautiful? Uh, yeah. Uh, no. What do we say? We say, not as beautiful as you. So there's one for you. But I usually say, no, I went down the street. I didn't see anyone. Two ugly men. That's it. And Lachlan. We've been journeying over the past several months uh, through the earlier parts of Genesis, following closely Abraham and Abraham's story. It's a long and winding journey to where we arrive now, sometime after God has come good on his promise. He's given Abraham and Sarah a son of their own. They laugh so much in disbelief or in joy that they named their son Isaac, which means he laughs. But the story could end there. They lived happily ever after into the sunset, the three of them. But it's not quite over for Abraham. His biggest test is yet to come. So Abraham, so God called Abraham. I expect Abraham, when he hears God's call, he's pretty excited because he's used to God bringing him good news. All the good stuff comes from God and then it's up to Abraham and Sarah to stuff it up or to change it a bit. So Abraham replied, yes, I'm here. Like God doesn't know that. Here I am. And he's like a puppy dog. He's like, okay, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it, God? What is it, God? And God's saying, okay, you know that son? He's like, yeah, 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 my son. That son, your only son, Isaac. Yes, I know him. The son who you love so much. Yes, I love him so much. What is it? Well, go to Moriah, take him with you. Yeah. And sacrifice him. Oh. And God probably sees his face. He's, he's, he's stunned. God says, I'll show you the place. Like, that's the problem. <laughs> the place I'll show you. No, no, I'm, my son, that's deflated. How long do you think he sat there in silence and not in his stomach? If, you're experienced, if you've experienced tragedy, real sudden tragedy, you'll, you'll know that not in your stomach. Or people will talk about a lump in the throat where you just, you can't, you can't swallow, you can't talk. So he's feeling like that, he sleeps on it. He get, verse 3, he gets up early. He gets the gear for the burnt offering ready. He packs it himself, no mention to Sarah or servants helping him or telling them what's going to happen, telling them that what, what God's asked him to do. It's just Abraham, that knot in his stomach and some wood. And I can imagine every cut of that wood, just like the knife, plunging through his son. He's thinking, I cannot do this. Why do I have to do this? Gut-wrenching stuff. So you'd be forgiven to think maybe Abraham is in his own catch-22. What's he thinking? Boy, this boy, at long last, promise fulfilled, my ancestry assured, a great nation he will create from this miracle child born to my somewhat 90-year-old wife, and despite all our ducking and weaving and U-turns and mistakes, he has given his son to us, and now I have to kill him, and he dies. That's it. The heartbeat of the covenant stopped. But what if I disobey? If I disobey again, who knows how, how much I'll suffer? I'm stuffed if I do, and I'm stuffed if I don't to coin a phrase and churchify it a bit. 
So yes, I mean, God might have a chuckle when he watches us with a packet of scissors in that hard plastic wrapper and we need a pair of scissors to get it out. But he doesn't test us with these catch-22 situations. He doesn't put us in lose-lose situations. He doesn't seek to see us get stuck or become unstuck. When God decides to test us, as it says in the Bible, Abraham is tested and God tested Abraham, we have two options. We can either stand the trial and our faith is increased or we can fail, but we learn from that. We learn that we need to trust ourselves less and cling to him more. God doesn't tempt us like Satan does, tricking us into sin. In James 1, 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And remember the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation. He does what's necessary to help us make the right decision, but even if we don't, we're more right with him. It's a win-win. And it reminds me a little bit of my father. When I was a boy, uh, or even an adult, if it happened now, I'd be pretty excited, he would come home from wherever he was and he'd have his hands behind his back. I'd say, Dad, what's that? And he says, you know what. And and So this is this game that we play and I have to choose which hand. So he's got two hands behind his back. He says, which hand? So I'm thinking, okay. Last week it was the left hand. Two months ago it was the left hand. It's got to be the right hand this time. I'm going through my roulette skills. I'll go right, right hand. So this is the 90s, guys. I mean, for those older than me, 90s feels modern. But this, if you weren't even born in the year 2000, you don't know what a newspaper is probably. Sometimes he'd bring me home like a sports clipping or something because I couldn't check my phone you know, who won the footy, so he'd have a sports, sports clipping from the newspaper. Or in the other hand, I'd go, good, I'll pick the right one. The other hand might be a cricket magazine or something so I can find out what happened in India three months ago because, once again, <laughs> Wi-Fi's down in 1991. <laughs> but either way, it's a win-win, and I never cottoned on to it, but he would always... He, it was, my father was a very fair man. He would always have something good. So he'd never trick me. That's what I'm trying to say. But God, he, he does. He continually tests people's character, their faith, their obedience, their love, integrity and loyalty. Our character is both developed and revealed by testing. And if we're honest, life, all of life's a test. We're always being tested. But once again, not tempted to do wrong, but God is constantly watching how we respond to people, to problems, to success, to failure, to conflict, illness, Disappointment, even if you're a Richmond fan last night. (laughs) Daniel was tested in the Bible, and for him personally, it was a win-win. We read in Daniel 3.17, If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, We want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship your gold statue. And 2 Corinthians, what about Paul's trials of testing? I need a big breath for this. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a day and night in the depths of the sea. 
On frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers, <coughs> dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country. I could go on. He was without food. He was without clothing. And there's Jesus on crucifixion eve. He went on a little bit further, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet not your will be done. Let, let your will be done, not mine. Are you in a situation right now where you feel like God is leading you down a path that goes nowhere? Do you feel stuck in a lose-lose situation? You could be dating an amazing, generous, kind, beautiful person, but there's someone that won't let go of their sin or refuses to know the Lord. Maybe that relationship isn't right. Or if you're single, you're lonely, you feel inadequate, God could be using that singleness as a buffer to protect you from some danger. Or it could be time, and I've been there, it could be time for him to draw you closer than ever so you can be a blessing to your future partner. Are you spending too much time in your job and not enough time with your family or with God, but you feel like if you don't, the bills won't be paid? Or are you, are you walking a tightrope in your job between ethics and honesty and dishonesty, but thinking, my boss has told me to do this, I have to do it or else I'll get the sack? Are you feeling hatred towards people who have done horrible things when all they need is grace and love and forgiveness more than ever? But don't be discouraged by these trials. These tests are for good. We know in Romans 8.28 that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and all who are called according to his purpose for them. As Luke said in his message last week, yes, there may be times in life we do know best. Parents, you're nodding your heads there. But when it comes to God and us, it will never be true. We have to trust that he is faithful in all situations. His sovereignty over all things is far beyond anything we can comprehend. But most of all, he loves us. He loves us so much. I've got a younger brother, about six years younger than me. And we get along really well. His name's Bam, don't ask. His name's Samuel, we call him Bam. Um, ever since he and I bridged the gap, when, when he became an adult, 18 years old, the older, younger brother thing was gone and we became great mates. So um, we would hang out together a lot and he and I would always be kidding around, joking around. We had a lot of fun when we were together. We didn't really take life too seriously uh, when we're in the same room. I mean, I don't take life too seriously at all, but it's another story. We would have so much fun that, once again, I'm going to walk a tightrope here, we'd have so much fun that the lines between truth and joke were very blurry. So if I would say something to him, he'd assume that I was joking. So for an example, this is not going to happen, Katie. Let's say next week, I said, bam, next week I'm going to shave my head. He'd be like, yeah, good one. Yeah, sure you are. I said, no, I'm really, I'm going to shave my head. He's like, good, yep, hilarious. You're not, you're not shaving your head. I'm like, damn, I really, really am. And he, w- he, pro- he wouldn't believe me because it wouldn't happen. But if it was going to happen, how am I going to get my brother to believe that I'm not joking? It's like that story where the boy cried wolf. 
the, the, the boy in the town, he's guarding the town, I guess, from these scary wolves, and he yells, wolf, and the soldiers come to the town to save the town of the boy, and there's no wolf there. So they go home, he cries, wolf, again, they come, where's the wolf? Oh, sorry, there's no wolf here. And then months later, however long, wolves do come, and the boy says, wolf, and the soldiers back at home, having their cups of tea, watching the footy going, he always cries wolf. There's never any wolf. So we're, we, we were the, the boys that cried joke. We'd always joke around with each other, but we could never believe each other when we were serious. So we had to come up with something because for me, trust is very important. I want people to believe me when I say something and I mean it. So simply, we've got these two words, trust me. If I say something to my brother or to anyone, followed by the words, trust me, then Samuel or Bam, he knows he can take it to the bank. And it's so important in my life that my brother was my best man at my wedding and he gave part of his speech to Katie to say, when Lachlan says, trust me, you have to trust him. Not you can trust him, you have to trust him. Because it's like a covenant with myself, this little human covenant, that says it's very sacred to me. So if I say today is Sunday... I'm not going to say, trust me, because if you're listening on the podcast, it might be Tuesday or Wednesday. But if I say, I've got shoes on, trust me, then you know that it's true. And it has to be absolutely rock solid. It's got my brother and I out of a few jams when I've just said, bam, trust me. And Katie as well. So after everything that Abraham and God have been through, a hundred years of God saying, hey, this is going to happen, God saying, go here, do this, don't do that. And his sovereignty being over all those things. I feel like when God says to Abraham, go and take Isaac up the hill and he will be your sacrifice, I feel like the trust me is implied. And it's tested when Isaac pops up and says, hey, Dad. He says, Father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We're in verse 7. The fire and the water here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And I'm going to insert an implied trust me in there. And then they walked on together. So we know now that Abraham is all in. He is so trusting of God that he's answered the call, he's packed up, he's walked for three days, he's taking action, and even when Isaac, his son, who he loves, says, what's going on? There's no, there's no sacrifice here. He's still willing to take the ultimate action. He won't waver. I mean, we all know our sins. Yeah, I know my sin. You know your sin. We're all sinners and we know it. But when God convicts us, how do we respond? Do we say, no, 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 that's my sin. That's my only sin whom I love. Or do we hear God saying, no, this is not right for you. Trust me. My wife Katie and I have been trying for our first child since early 2016. We've had month after month of disappointment and doctor's meetings and procedures and tests and more disappointment. And if you've been through that, uh, you know what it's like. If you're in that situation right now, you know what it's like. If you're someone that for you children is not an option, you know what that's like. And Abraham, he knew what that was like. 
Sarah, she knew what that was like. And then out of the blue, Isaac arrives. A miracle, rejoice. And now God says, Abraham, sacrifice this child. This promise so long in the making. So we're all the way down to verse 10 now. Where he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Three days he's been travelling. Plenty of time to turn back to change your mind. Isaac says, hey, there's no offering here, let's go home. He said, no, the Lord will provide. He's got his hand, he's holding the knife to slay his son. And when was the moment that he said, okay, this is coming down? His breath is shortening, his heartbeat's racing. It's like, okay, I can do this, I can do this. Here we go, all right, here we go. Abraham! Abraham, God calls him, well, the angel of the Lord calls him, do not lay a hand on the boy. Now I know you fear God. When Abraham collects himself, he looks up and he sees a ram in the thicket. The Lord has provided the sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time. Because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because you have obeyed me. Abraham's thinking, you asked me to sacrifice Isaac. I haven't done that. Have I obeyed you? He didn't get a chance to obey. He took the knife. He was ready to carry out the orders to sacrifice to somebody he didn't. Because when we surrender completely, we need only obey incompletely. When we surrender completely, We need only obey incompletely. Amen. Because we don't have to plunge that knife. He had the knife ready. God saw that he was willing to put him first before his most precious earthly possession, his only son. God said, no, Isaac is spared. The emotion that would have washed over Abraham as he embraces his son, puts the knife down in the wood, tied up there, Abraham is richly blessed. His son, it's like he's back from the dead. And we are too, if we surrender to him. I will provide the sacrifice, said the Lord. Here, a lamb. That's Jesus. It's not about doing this. It's not about doing that. Saying that, wearing these, talking like these people. He sees our hearts. When we surrender completely, we need only obey incompletely. Thanks to Jesus. We read in Luke 23, as he hangs on the cross, that one of the criminals who was hanging there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked that criminal. said, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man 
He's done nothing wrong. And he turned to Jesus in agony, about to die, and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus saw his heart. He saw that he believed and that was all it took. So I promise I'll be short and sharp today, guys. Let's remember that Jesus, well, God, God doesn't trick us. He doesn't tempt us. His testing is to strengthen our relationship with him, to make his name great in our hearts so that his name can be made great in this area, in this region, in this world. Thanks to God sending his son, Jesus, we don't have to raise our hands to destroy, but just to surrender. As we hear him say, trust me. Let's pray. Father, you know the trials we're facing in life, but we want to see your hand in those situations. You also know our hearts and the things that are blocking us from you that we refuse to let go of. God, we want to thank you so much for sending Jesus. And today, we want to renew our surrender to you. We want to leave those things behind and be embraced by you, God. We praise you for seeing our hearts and not our deeds. We're so grateful for making the ultimate sacrifice that you made so we wouldn't have to. Help us to continue to trust you. Amen.